Hey y'all, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about the same shit we do every week with the coronavirus, although this week we've got a lot more information than we normally do, so it's um, it's been a bit of a doozy on that one. Uh, we also have a, a, a long delayed update to Project Roomkey. We haven't spoken about Roomkey in quite some time here, and we've got a little bit of an update on that one. Um, but we're going to be spending a big chunk of today talking about Aliso Canyon, and we are joined by our friend of the podcast and a friend of ground game in general, Alexander yeah. Nagy from Food and Water Action and Food and Water Watch. Uh, so we'll be talking about that in uh, quite some detail. And uh, then we've also got a little bit of a, you know, a thing that happened with uh, our friend Melina Abdullah uh, that went down this week. So we'll go into that as well. And I think that's pretty much it. We've got a little bit of a thing about Uber that we should definitely be mentioning briefly, but we're going to be trying to keep it a little bit short today uh, due to a number of circumstances outside of our control. So anyway, uh, how's it going for you, Bushido? Uh, not the best week ever. I'm not going to lie. I like the the heat and the air quality is definitely Damn. hitting my lungs in a shitty, shitty way. Uh, so uh, I'm lucky because, like, I have a roof over my head and, like, an AC. Um, yeah. There's a lot of people, about 70,000-plus, who don't. So if you have some extra money, make sure you've got some water bottles in your car. You're able to pass out. If you can, like, freeze them for folks, really, really good idea. Again, the state and the county are failing miserably at their mission to keep people safe. And, like... When we say that three people a day on average die uh, and on the streets of L.A., we know that that number is going to be bigger this year, not just because of COVID, but because of all the other external pressures that are, be are coming because of, like, the just absolute breakdown of our society. Yeah. And there are days where more people die and there are days where no people die. And a day like today and days like this for the rest of the week are going to be days where more people die because living outside under these conditions is super, super hard, especially if you're already fighting with or suffering from some sort of health condition. So just be careful out there. If you see people who need help, give them like the basics, water, food. It's really hard to live in a city that says you can't have a tent up during the day, but it's a hundred degrees out and you can't be in the shade. So it, this is just another time where like, we have to be taking care of each other because we know the government's not going to be there doing it. Um, and it was really cool. I have to say last night, Chris, you and I were hanging out at the uh, Life Kit Bodega and it's really, like inspiring to see people like Melissa and Kieran who are just like, fuck it, I'm going to make a difference in this world and then are doing that. But uh, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm doing all right. Uh, like you said, I also have a roof and air conditioning. So honestly, I really can't be complaining too much. Uh, but this air quality is not great. And uh, I'm starting to feel a bit of that impact as well. Uh, it was really fun to go and hang out with the bodega crew uh it was a nice little you know socially distant exterior uh gathering of folks <laughs> with lots of bright sunshine that was incredibly hot oh my god i can't believe how hot it has been lately but uh it, it, it's we're in the midst of a crazy heat wave and it yeah. is absolutely going to be getting worse um and on top of everything no, it's, gonna, that you just, it, it's gonna be 108 in the valley today like, yeah. it's going to be nuts out there. Like, I moved away from Arizona to avoid this. And I am not paying California prices. <laughs> you brought it with shit. you. <laughs> Governor Newsom, I am Fix not it. paying these rent prices for this bullshit. Well, get, get the best minds in the state on this. He's, he's got a couple of things uh, on his plate, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But I was just going to yeah. say that um, on top of all of 
the crazy factors that are going into killing people mm -hmm. on the streets here in Los Angeles. We're now looking, we're staring straight down the barrel of an, uh, an impending eviction tsunami, as folks are calling it, or whatever the hell uh, hyperbolic yeah. term you want to use for it. I don't honestly know that any of them are really doing it justice. Like this is... Well, it, it, it looks like the eviction courts didn't open yesterday like they're supposed to. They've gotten pushed back to September 1st. Which is good, uh, Which is but... a, a two-week reprieve. But there's still evictions happening. Like, if you just drive around the city, you see people who have clearly been evicted. You see their shit just sitting on the side of the road. Like, yeah. I have seen more for rent signs driving from where I live in Mid-City to the ground game office than I have seen all year. Like, this last week, they're springing up like dandelions, and that is a terrible, terrible sign. Yeah, the um, there's. I actually just my buddy in San Francisco sent me an article from uh, SF Gate that was pointing out the um, it had it had a graph of uh, basically like the the housing inventory supply uh, for relative cities and uh, Los Angeles was up something like five percent uh, overall, yeah. but San Francisco is up some like hundred percent. Like it has gone up, it has more than doubled the number of like mark of units on the market for rent or whatever like people are just leaving san francisco or they're all being evicted it's all fucked up things are going to get real wild here um but just touching back to what you had said on uh governor newsom and needing to fix the the weather uh which he sadly can't do uh <laughs> he's been dealing with some shit uh we, we we're currently dealing with a complete breakdown of our <laughs> tracking system for coronavirus. So you, yeah. you sent me this article uh, that was that came out on Tuesday. It was from from Deadline, uh, which I do like that. Which uh, I, I got to say, it's weird that Deadline was the one doing the reporting on this, because I don't even <laughs> think I saw this in the L.A. Times. No, like I saw like Kate Raft po posted this. Uh, Kate Raft, you know, from like being an yeah. amazing Twitch personality, but also doing entertainment news segments on the live show occasionally. And Deadline was like, hey, look at this fucking bullshit. Yeah. LA Times had nothing. So. Yeah, no, it, it's it's kind of crazy. So the um, basically so the, you can see the headline there. California coronavirus update daily new infection count spikes by nearly 40 percent day over day as COVID case data backlog hits. So what was going on here was uh, quoting from the article, quote, on Monday, Governor Gavin Newsom, that is always a tongue twister to say. I really want to say the governor or G Gavinator, Governor Gavinator, whatever the fuck, it doesn't matter. Uh, governor Gavin Newsom said there were 7,751 new cases in the state. That's a substantial drop from about 10,000 two weeks ago, just before the data errors began to take effect. On Tuesday, the state reported 12,500 new cases, a curiously round number that is just 307 new cases shy from, last, from the state's all-time daily high. That was 12,807 reported on July 22nd, just a week before the state's reporting system was impacted by the errors of state officials. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> this stuff was not good. Uh, well, when this, is, this is on top of the top public health official uh, for COVID in the state resigning because of this clusterfuck with the data. Oh, like, you mean we this just, one? <laughs> yes. And like, we're a tech state. Like, literally, we have $2 trillion corporations that are essentially housed in this state that made those trillions based off of technology like computers and shit. And <laughs> we can't even run a simple database. Like the state no, is claiming we like we can't afford to buy new enough computers. And it's like, well, holy shit. Like just, I don't know, 
take Tim Apple and hold him upside down and shake the change out of his pockets and buy new computers. That is his new name. We have to always call him Tim Apple from now on. There's, there is no other name. That is one thing that we can thank Trump for is coming up with fun nicknames for people that we also don't like. Um, so anyway, on tu when Tuesday's numbers were published on the state's COVID tracking dashboard, they came with a, uh, a, a they had a little disclaimer that they added on there, which was pretty fun. <coughs> Quote, Today's case count includes backlogged cases that would have been reported in earlier days and weeks and are not an accurate representation of cases reported in the prior 24 hours. Thank you, California Public Health Department that no longer has a fucking leader. Uh, she actually stepped down on, uh, she announced her resignation on Sunday night, so just ahead of this clusterfuck really coming to light. Um, but let's go ahead and get into those numbers, shall we? Yeah. Beep. Uh, yeah, so uh, holy shit, that spike on uh, Tuesday, and I think on Wednesday, too, like absolutely wild. Uh, we've, we've got these crazy case numbers. Um, oh, shit. Well, as of last night, we're now up to 613,279 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state of California. Um, I like that uh, Scott Frazier had a fun little tweet I think yesterday or two days ago about this. It must have been yesterday because that was when we crested the 600,000 mark um, where his he, he quote tweeted the, art, the headline that's like California becomes first state to pass 600,000 COVID tests or COVID cases. And uh, his response was, well, it sure as shit wasn't going to be Wyoming. Um, nice, just bleak humor in this time of pandemic. Uh, so yeah. we added 53,000 new cases in the past week. We had 10,558 new confirmed cases yesterday, and we are up to 11,149 deaths uh, in the state due to coronavirus. 150 of them came yesterday. Uh, this chart terrifies me because, like, going back, this one we now know has serious yeah, structural issues. Well, that that dip was artificial. That dip 100%. was all of our Apple IIEs ran out of uh, 3.5 inch floppies to use. So uh, we, bro, had to, we had to Apple IIEs we had to wait to five and a quarter. Come on. We had to we, we had to wait for them to upgrade to uh, to jazz drives. Remember jazz drives, Chris? <laughs> yes, actually, I do. <laughs> God damn it. I remember the, um, what was the one, oh, shit, it was the one that was 100 megabytes. It was amazing because it was 100 megabytes. I think, it was, was, I think it's the Jazz Drive. It was no, like the it, super thick 3.5. It was like, it was, that one was, Jazz was a different one, I think. Maybe it was that one. Um, I, there were a bunch of them. You remember mini discs? Mini discs were oh, fucking yeah. cool. Uh, they also made for some of the best uh, cyberpunk Nostalgic whenever props. I watch Evangelion, and I'm like, oh Hell my yeah. God. Shinji has 150 tracks on that. Yeah, that's it was amazing. Great. <laughs> but yeah, oh, so like God. we we know that like the numbers we're seeing are not the real numbers, and this isn't just here in the Correct. in California. This is across the U.S. Like there are just massive problems with data reporting, which um, seems like I don't know the wealthiest nation on the planet should be able to handle that. I I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, call me crazy, but no, if we can deliver you're, a you're bomb. Not. To anywhere on the planet, yeah. we should be able to count our own citizens and how yeah. many of them are sick. 
Well, so here's the thing. Like, LA Times pointed this out. They said um, one of the key things to keep in mind with all of this is that there's a backlog of cases that's driving up the count, technical problems with this, <laughs> driving up the count. <laughs> it was driving down the count, motherfuckers. Yep. Uh, technical problems with the state database has delayed the tabulation of nearly 300,000 test results. Officials say to expect a steep increase in new cases as the computer systems catch up. So that's bleak. Um, let's look at Los Angeles. So here we go. Uh, I don't know why ours is going down, but maybe it's actually we're doing a good job. I don't really believe that because uh, there was a timeline that came out that showed that um, Catherine Barger really helped to completely fuck up everything here for us. So that's mm -hmm. fun. Um, but as of Friday night or this morning, whichever one you want to go by, uh, Los Angeles is up to 218,831 confirmed cases of COVID-19. Uh, 14,500 new cases over the last week. We had 5,215 deaths in the, the county. Oops, clicking on the wrong thing. Sorry. There we go. Nope. Wrong thing. Whatever. Yeah, there we go. That's the one I wanted. <laughs> ha! Uh, oh, it took this keystroke from whatever. Never mind. I'm. I mean, still, that like, IT but just <laughs> taking, a, taking a trend line of that trend line. Yes. Like if you're taking like a 200 day moving average versus this like seven day moving average, yeah. that's not a good trend. No, like, that's not a good trend. Like the, the next the next level up of derivation does not look like it's trending down. It looks at best that it's trending flat. Yeah, basically, yeah. So we, we've we've really seen that nothing has been changing in terms of the deaths in L.A. County like we've. The case count, the new case count might be going down, but I honestly, I think that there's probably some testing fatigue going on in there and people aren't getting tested as much. Um, well, also, I think I think there's a good argument that doctors have gotten better at treating this. And if you're someone who's not in a super high risk group, it's more likely that you're going to survive. Like they figured out what works, what doesn't work, like how to treat someone uh, when they come in, because during the first couple of months, nobody knew what the hell was going on. True. But that true. being said, we've clearly hit like a floor where there is just like a certain percentage of people who get this who are definitely going to be passing away. And that's why it's really frustrating to see like these Hollywood Hills parties or like people that I know throwing fucking underground warehouse ragers. None of this shit is helping. And that's, you know, not to say that those parties are the driving force here. It's clearly opening the economy, forcing people back to school, forcing people back to work, those sorts of activities. But the added risk of going out to dinner, going out to nightclubs, going out to the beach, doing all of that shit is not helping and is just kind of making sure that we're just sacrificing a certain percentage of our population when we don't need to be doing that. Correct. Uh, so a couple of things that the LA Times highlighted in this, which is a, are, are useful things to keep in mind, that over the past two weeks, the county's recorded 30,290 new cases, which fails the, to meet the standard of disease transmission for the state. Uh, the number of hospitalizations has actually been steady. There are now 1,913 patients with a confirmed or suspected case uh, in the hospitals. And the county's hospital capacity is still within the state standards, with less than 80% of ICU beds are occupied, and at least 75% of the ventilators are available. So it does appear that we're not going to be cross, like crossing over into that like scary northern Italy threshold where everyone is just being... You know, the doctors are having to make determinations of who's going to live and die uh, without even giving them a chance. And uh, it's, I'm glad to see that that is at least slightly positive. So, yeah, but uh, speaking of flattening curves, 
I'm never mm -hmm. going to get tired of using that as the introduction for this fucking disaster uh, of uh, of a quote unquote <laughs> project, project Roomkey. Yeah. Uh, so it's bad. Um, as of Friday, August 14th, we've got still 48,038 unsheltered people living in the city of or in the county of Los Angeles. Uh, and that's gone up. That's using the number again from the homeless count from a year ago, or not a year ago, from the beginning of the year, well before anything uh, happened with coronavirus. 15,000 rooms were promised. We have reached 4,177 rooms under contract. So there's a little bit of a, you can see the little couple of upticks here since the middle of July. Uh, we are, for all of the rooms that are under contract are currently operational, which is great. Uh, 3,725 rooms are occupied. That puts us at an 89% occupancy rate overall. And a fun little detail that I gleaned from uh, just clicking back a little bit through Room, room Keys Tracker uh, is that we had 150 rooms uh, come operational on Wednesday, which was eight days after they came under contract. So there's about a, a little more than a week delay from once they get contracted till once they became operational, at least for this last batch. Gives you some semblance of an idea as to what the timeline is for trying to address mm -hmm. this issue. But again, uh, I don't think that they've bothered updating the like when we will hit the 15,000 mark because it's pretty clear that we have reached some level of an asymptote where we're probably never even going to hit 5,000 rooms, uh, which yeah. means that this this thing is a complete fucking disaster. And it's it's on a day like today where it's basically 90 degrees at like 10 in the morning, this seems like an easy one to fix. And it's just simply laziness. Like you, me, everyone who pays taxes in the city has subsidized these hotels. Yep. We should be able to just force them to open their doors to the people who are They're unhoused. And when, right when like, when somebody like the, the Four Seasons is like, oh, but then like billionaires won't want to stay in the room if like they know that a, a poor person looked at it. It's like, well, then fuck them. Yeah. I, I don't fucking care. They can go like, they can fuck off to Montecito. Literally no one cares. Let's just take the hotels. Yeah. I'm, I'm tired of it. Let's just take the yeah, hotels. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you know what? Fun fact I just learned. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Catherine Barger's brother sits on the USPS board. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> he also happens to live in Pasadena. Uh, if anybody feels like, I don't know, maybe going and letting Catherine Barger's brother know that, like, we would like him to stop the fascism or wants to let Catherine Barger know, you know, that we would like her to do something oh, yeah. to stop the fascism. But uh, before I get too bogged down on that, let's call on Alexandra Negi uh, to talk about Aliso Canyon uh, and what's been going on there. Uh, Alexandra, how are you, how doing, you doing, today? doing today? I'm doing really great. Great, great to be on with you guys today. today. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> there was just a, a piece that went up in Knock talking about some of the latest developments in Aliso Canyon. But before we get into that, set the stage for us a little bit. What is Aliso Canyon? What did it do to the, the people of Porter Ranch? What is it still doing? Sure. So Aliso Canyon Gas Storage Facility is owned and operated by SoCal Gas, um, and it's the fourth largest underground gas storage facility in the entire country. Um, and in on October 23rd, 2015, um, one of the wells of, uh, of 114 wells they have up there, one of them blew out, um, and SoCal Gas really fucked up their response and basically did not um, do the proper um, assessments to figure out how to kill this well immediately. Um, and this ended up lasting for 111 days. 
25,000 people were displaced from their homes. And the toxins that came out of that well include benzene, toluene, formaldehyde, very dangerous carcinogens, along with methane, along with uh, oily mist. And so this, mm. this inundated the community for almost four months. 25,000 people were relocated from their homes. People got extremely sick right away. Uh, ranging from nosebleeds, rashes, vomiting, diarrhea, headaches, lethargy. Um, and people died, too. Pets died. Mm. And this yep. was really a life-and-death crisis and emergency unfolding right here in Los Angeles. Um, but the, the huge um, kind of disadvantage we had on this is that it was invisible. Nobody could see that it was happening. And this had a bigger impact on the climate than the BP oil spill and lasted longer than the BP oil spill. Um, and so for the last almost going on five years, um, we at Food and Water Action have been working with the community and Safe Porter Ranch and a lot of community groups there to get this facility shut down because we quickly um, heard the calls of the community that this, there's no such thing as a safe gas storage facility in your backyard. Yeah. And, and we just need to shut all of them down. The state of California has 13 of these. There are three more within the county of Los Angeles, um, one in Santa Clarita, one in Playa del Rey. Mm -hmm. um, and then one, uh, the other SoCal gas storage facility is in Montebello um, that they have shut down in the past. So that one also was super problematic. And we've seen that one get shut down. Um, and then they have one more in Goleta, um, mm -hmm. right next to UC Santa Barbara. So there's a really um, big history, even here in California, of gas storage facilities um, blowing out or having these massive loss of containment incidents. Um, and it's just another crisis um, that's constantly unfolding. This facility still leaks every day. Um, and we just need to shut them all down. So that's what we're working on at Food and Water Action. Yeah, no, we, uh, down in the, the bottom corner, if y'all are looking at the screen, that is a infrared image of this leak when it was close to its peak. But you can just see a massive amount of like, what's invisible to the naked eye leaking out of the top of this mountain. I know from times when I've door knocked up there, like there are neighborhoods where you smell this stuff and it's still happening. Now there are a lot of lawsuits going on right now and that's kind of what prompted uh, Nicole Levinson's article. Can you tell us about what SoCal Gas is doing that has kind of like caught your attention this time around? Yeah, so there's um, been a lot of lawsuits between the SoCal Gas and gov uh, several government agencies. Um, one of them was settled a couple of years ago that resulted in a $25 million pot for doing a long-term health study in the community. Mm -hmm. um, and this is really important because while we know many of the chemicals and heavy metals and you know, elements of Aliso Canyon and the gas blowout, there's still so much more we don't know because SoCal Gas refuses to disclose the chemicals. Um, and so this $25 million health study is a big part of that um, kind of effort to create this transparency and fully understand the long-term health effects. Um, and unfortunately, since the beginning of this disaster, we've seen SoCal Gas go and capture the very agencies that are meant to protect the public. Um, mm -hmm. Notably, the, the LA County Department of Public Health has been on the forefront of this SoCal gas information, uh, disinformation um, campaign where they came out 
uh, initially and said, "There, this is just a nuisance. You know, this is all just short-term, temporary. If you just, you know, get out of the community, you'll be fine. No long-term health effects." And that was the gas company's talking point from the beginning. When the health department knew, um, just knew some of the um, problems with the emissions, like benzene and other things. Um, and I know you all talked about on your last podcast um, about the firefighters suing the gas yeah. company. Um, well, the I, I, I was also going to say, yeah. what a, a hell of a solution to be, hey, just sell your house and move. Right. Like, if you don't want to get poisoned. And I don't know who's going to buy that house. Like, it's the Ben Shapiro. Like, if your house is going to be underwater in five years, just sell it to someone. And it's like, who's going to, is Aquaman going to buy it? Is there some sort of like, methane avenger that's going to want to buy my house to live next to this this mountain of gas it's it's such mind-numbingly stupid and cynical advice sorry to, to cut you off there totally and completely callous too right because a lot of the community nearby is a lot of seniors who've retired and put their whole life investments into these homes and it's just not possible for them to up and move um but right so the the firefighters suing the gas company really kind of added to the chorus of the community calling out the corruption and captured um, nature of the L.A. County Department of Public Health, because in that lawsuit, they specifically say that public health, specifically Katie Butler, who works in the public health department, who is known very well throughout the kind of communities in Los Angeles um, who are fighting oil and gas issues for just being horrible um, on these issues. And she went to the firefighters and told them, you're fine no long-term health effects. You can go out and um, basically be up at the facility without any protective gear. Um, and she went with the gas company to tell the firefighters that, right? Mm -hmm. So if they're willing to do that to our first responders, of course they're going the entire community under the bus, and that's exactly what we've, they've done. So the article in Knock LA um, by Nicole really uh, further highlights this ongoing saga um, in which the California Public Utilities Commission and the Department of Toxic Substances at the statewide level um, have ordered SoCal Gas to remove about 150 bins, and these are 20-yard-long bins, what I've heard, of mm -hmm. um, collected samples, materials, drilling mud, oil, um, what was basically on site of the blowout. And if you've seen those images, I mean, it's like basically created this massive crater, and it was it's, it's a really interesting um, thing to understand that the soil there was so contaminated and that needs to be studied, that we need um, independent scientists to do the analysis on what is in all of those materials, because that's kind of one of our best chances right now to fully understand the chemical makeup of what people were exposed to. And mm -hmm. even though this order to destroy evidence has happened, um, and there's a deadline on this of August 24th, the LA Department of Public Health knew about it for a while and did not tell the community about this. Um, there is a community oversight group um, that is a community-driven um, um, subcommittee of part of this $25 million health study that's going on. Um, and they just learned about it, which is how I learned about it. Um, mm -hmm. And they've been demanding that public health and the county and Supervisor Barger subpoena the gas company for this full chemical disclosure. They've been refusing to do it. And so just this, this um, attempt to destroy evidence and, and basically sit on that information and stay quiet about it 
is just another um, violation of the public trust. And so this $25 million mm -hmm. health study at the end of the day is a lot of money to buy more cover-up, right? Um, to buy mm -hmm. more disinformation and just completely wash um, all of these concerns away. If you don't look, you can't find, right? Um, and so that's kind of where the fear that we have is just that they're not following best practices. This is not a really um, well-designed study, and especially if they're not even willing to get their hands on the evidence. So I, I know when it comes to fracking, the question is always, what is in the fracking water? What is in the actual like process that they do the fracking? And this is proprietary information that corporations got, uh, guard very closely and have sued people for trying to leak. Yeah. Is that same sort of stuff going on here? Is there... Is the industry being protected by the regulators at even just a fundamental level, even before anything goes wrong? Is that just their their basic MO? Absolutely. Yeah. SoCal Gas claims trade secrets for why they should not be disclosing these chemicals. Um, there are some basic um, regulations. It's so frustrating. And it's so predictable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we we know, like I said, we know to some extent what the chemicals are, because there mm -hmm. are some regulations, like at the South Coast Air Quality Management District and the EPA, that require mm -hmm. disclosure of various kind of serious um, chemicals, like the carcinogens I had mentioned, or just generally emissions coming from these facilities, because we do need to track that stuff. But as mm -hmm. far as in detail, what are the specific chemicals they're using for fracking fluids? I mean, SoCal Gas does fracking. They do acidization. They use extreme methods up there at their facility to maintain their wells, to um, you know create more space in their storage facility for oil and gas um, extraction mm -hmm. and storage. They do both. Um, and oh, so right. this really um, just kind of is is absolutely necessary for transparency. And and we know you know the the effect, like I said, of one chemical. We know what benzene will do to your body. But what does benzene do in the combination with formaldehyde and acrolein and, you know, heavy metals and um, oily mist? Um, and so there have been um, some attempts to uncover just what the effects on this have been already in the public because the health department has been captured. You know, this isn't the first pot of money to come around. There was a $1 million um, allotment from the settlement between the county, where Jackie Lacey basically settled with SoCal Gas very quickly and denied restitution for the residents of um, Aliso Canyon area, and basically got a $1 million um, allotment for a health study that the Air Quality Management District has been sitting on for three years or longer. Mm -hmm. um, and so Dr. Nordella, who I, don't, I'm, I know you all have talked about him before, um, he was kind of the frontline doctor um, working at the Porter Ranch Quality Care Clinic and saw all of his patients coming in getting horribly sick. And then mm -hmm. the public health department sent a letter basically saying, do not do any toxicology tests. If people are coming in sick, the last thing you should be looking at is the air quality concerns from the Aliso Canyon blowout. And this what was a fuck? letter that came from the Department of Public Health during the blowout. And so he was like, this is really bad. That Huge seems like flags. medical malpractice. Absolutely. Huge red flags for him. And so he started to do his own surveys. He did his own hair and urine analysis, did a study of over 100 patients in the community. And then most recently, he did a study of um, the complete blood count, um, looking at the type of blood 
issues that can arise from exposure to benzene. And in all of these cases, he found, um, just specifically looking at the 91326 zip code of Porter Ranch, um, that these are st statistically significant um, exposures to things like benzene, acrolein, mm -hmm. um, uranium, um, and, and the like. And so he's been able to show independently, without any major funding, just kind of being a, a badass wanting to figure out what's going on, um, has been able to cover so much, uncover so much on his own. Um, it just really kind of shows the neglect and corruption of the health department because they could have easily been doing this. Um, and they're refusing to look at the people even still today, refusing to do health surveys or do the kind of epidemiological studies that are needed to understand these long-term health effects. And they're just dragging their feet. Now, um, we know that even though Aliso Canyon isn't leaking big, it's still kind of leaking and it's still a danger to the community. And I don't want to get too bogged down in that because there are some relevant pieces of legislation that we're looking at on the local level that are trying to rein this in. And I know the LA City Council has said, hey, we should shut down Aliso Canyon, but we haven't really gotten any movement there. Maybe you can talk about what the local political landscape looks like for the future, or at least the near-term well, future. Really quick, before you dive oh. into that, um, I just wanted to point out that uh, Patty Gluck, um, I'm probably mispronouncing your last name, Patty, I apologize, on Facebook commented uh, with a link to this petition uh, that uh, we w should definitely be including in the description for today's episode. Uh, we do have people that are paying attention and are actually you know, watching us live. So Patty shared this petition, which is great. Uh, everyone should sign it. We got to get it past that 2,500 signature mark uh, and more and more, and also just yelling at the governor as much as possible. But please continue. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> no, thank you so much. And hi, Patty. I'm glad you're uh, watching. That's great. Um, we are looking at a couple of actions at the LA City Council. Um, mm. be, and like I said, Aliso Canyon is not the only storage facility within kind of the city um, sphere of influence. You have the Playa del Rey gas storage facility there um, in Playa del Rey. And so um, council member Mike Bonin, who represents that area, has been very good on this issue. Um, immediately after Aliso Canyon blew out, he you know, approached us and said, you know, I want Food and Water Action to do something about this in my community, too. Um, and so we've been working with him. And there's a motion that's going to be uh, or a resolution that's going to be coming before the full city council on Tuesday that's going to call on the state and Governor Newsom to shut down Playa del Rey. Um, and so Playa del Rey gas storage facility is the oldest storage facility in the state. And the smallest as well, and provides only 1% of gas storage capacity in California, and is just really unnecessary and extremely leaky. It's actually more dangerous, according to state scientists, than Playa del Rey. Um, and if a blowout were to happen there, it's in a much more densely populated area. It's mm -hmm. right next to the airport. Like, it would just shut down the entire west side. It would be awful. Um, and so Mike Bonin is really rising to the challenge there and calling on uh, Newsom to do this. Um, and then we have another resolution that's been stalled um, that council member uh, uh, John Lee introduced, and he represents the Aliso Canyon area. And I'm, I can't tell if it's just um, 
incompetence of why this is not moving forward. I'm, I'm kind of frustrated, to be honest, because um, the Playa motion's moving, right? Why isn't the Aliso Canyon motion moving? Um, but essentially, this resolution will be calling for the shutdown of Aliso Canyon as well, which um, you may be surprised to think, like, hey, five years later, why haven't we done this already? And it's because we just had a hor horribly corrupt and you all know the story, um, council member there, uh, Mitch Englander, who <laughs> resigned and then was arrested for all kinds of uh, corruption charges. But um, yeah, he was awful and was basically doing the gas company's bidding. And it seems like um, if John Lee doesn't move this resolution soon, um, he mm -hmm. is too. Um, and that would be no surprise to us, but we're kind of keeping a sliver <laughs> of hope there that like he can yep. do this one thing that we'd really need him to do and have needed for five years. I appreciate so, your optimism, Alex, but I, <laughs> I don't really share it. It's yep. okay. That's my job to be optimistic, but yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's going on. And then just more, more um, taking a bigger step back, we have um, Gavin or Newsom, as you all say, um, <laughs> who <laughs> has promised our community many, many times on video, in person, and even in writing, right, to shut down Aliso Canyon. And he liked to take a dig at Governor Newsom and say, oh, we're going to do it. I'm sorry, Governor Brown, and say yeah. we're going to do it faster than Brown's proposed 10-year timeline, which, according to that, would get Elisa shut down by 2027. Um, and instead of this expedited shutdown that Newsom has called for, we've seen Elisa Canyon uh, use ramp up by 3,000 percent. And the, the regulators, the watchdogs, are allowing this to happen without any justification. We've done the analysis and just all of these withdrawals are completely unnecessary. And as um, this facility leaks every day, the increased use of this facility creates even more leakage and more emissions. And we hear it from the community whenever um, withdrawals happen at that facility their bodies tell them they know because they get sick, they get headaches, they get nosebleeds. Um, and so he has taken um, about $32,000 from Semper Energy in his bid for governor. Um, the Democratic Party in California is completely bought and paid for by Semper Energy, as well as the oil and gas industry. So it's no surprise that this is still an uphill battle and he's only been you know, kind of saying the words needed to appease the community, but we're not falling for it. Um, mm -hmm. And even just this last week, um, another thing happened where the state has been, you know, supposedly studying how to shut down Aliso Canyon. Um, they opened this study up in 2017, and the statutory requirement is that you're supposed to do these within 18 months, right? Otherwise, okay. things are going to get delayed. And this is has been delayed now twice. They just gave us another 18-month extension on finishing this study, which is absolutely ridiculous. Like, we've had very clear pathways for shutting down Aliso Canyon since the blowout ended. I mean, we essentially shut it down um, and only have used it um, a handful of days um, on 
throughout the throughout Governor Brown's um, remaining term. And then as soon as Newsom came into office, the regulations were loosened. Um, SoCal Gas was given the authority to justify a Lisa Canyon withdrawals on an as-needed SoCal Gas shall determine basis. And of course, they've taken full advantage of that and have just ramped up withdrawals. Um, wait, and we're wait, wait. getting Alex, that, Alex, yeah. you're telling me that we shouldn't trust the foxes <laughs> to guard the hen house? Because this is blowing yeah. my mind here. Yes, we should not do that. That's not smart policy <laughs> at all. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we have a lot on our hands. And um, I just also want to give a shout out to Sammy Roth, who's really been one of um, the kind of forefront reporters on this, helping expose what's going on with this energy crisis, just with, with the gas company and just kind of doing the hard hitting reporting needed to expose how awful SoCal Gas is across the board, um, you know, misusing customer funds to push more natural gas down our throats, suing yep. the state for supposedly not promoting natural gas, but that yeah, law they cite is total bullshit <laughs> and doesn't mean shit. I mean, it's just all like flailing um, desperately to stay relevant. And now's the time for the state to buy out the gas company. Essentially, we need to yeah. turn this company public and we need to manage this transition off gas. We need to shut everything down and take the profit motive out of it. Um, because right now, Semper shareholders are getting rich off of keeping these storage facilities open. Um, and basically, these storage facilities are making SoCal Gas um, $20 million a year annually because they buy gas on the open market when it's cheap, store it there, sell it when it's high. And so this, these storage facilities are not for energy reliability. It's not to keep the lights on or the gas flowing or anything like that. It's to make um, oil companies and gas companies money. Um, and it's all about commodities trading. And so this is really clear. Um, and also this Elisa Canyon storage facility has a net book value of $724 million. So of course they want to keep that in their balance sheet for their shareholders and fight shutting it down. Mm -hmm. And every year we spend $40 million out of pocket just for regular operations and maintenance of Aliso Canyon, $40 million every year just to keep that facility running. And so we're paying for this, whether or not you were sickened by it or know someone who was, like we all uh, are playing a part into this um, and supporting it one way or another through our bill. Mm -hmm. And so we really do need um, a public takeover of the gas company because they're just abusing um, the, the customer money and doing everything they can to fight climate policy that will save lives um, and protect our future. Well, and I think it, it, this is also a uniquely dangerous time because as we enter into this more economically kind of like depressed mode, this is when we see big companies like SoCal Gas and Semper Energy making the play that, oh, state budgets are squeezed right now. We can't do innovative things. We have to keep doing what we were doing. It's cheaper to allow us to keep polluting than it is to stop us from doing that and electrify the economy get off natural gas, do all of that stuff. So we're at a really dangerous point because a lot of politicians are going to be willing to take that easier path. So we have to keep the pressure up and let them know that isn't actually the easier path here, that doing what Semper wants is not the politi politically expedient thing. And thank you very much for like bringing that fight to them every single day. You got it. Yeah, and just to, to add to that, um, the oil and gas industry is at an all-time low, right? They're 
oil oil exploration, gas exploration is not cheap. Um, mm -hmm. And right now is the time to really talk about buying out the oil industry to buying out the gas industry because it'll be cheaper now um, than probably in the near future. Like we have to take um, advantage of this opportunity um, while the prices have hit rock bottom to do it. Mm -hmm. And by doing a public takeover, you know, the state can ensure this just transition that we talk about all the time. What's going to happen to these jobs? Well, remediation, cleanup, shutting things down, that's a ton of work. Um, and then figuring out how to transition into the clean energy sector. You know, California knows how to lead on that. We are doing really good work on advancing clean energy. The trends are shifting. We just need the full, um, you know, state power behind it to do it. But of course, we got to get oil and gas money out of politics in California. And these are the biggest lobbies in California year after year. Um, so we have our work cut out for us for sure. Um, yeah. And then just want to share one last thing. Uh, we, we have um, a webinar coming up on um, September 1st. So if folks want to know how to plug in um, and join us and make the five-year anniversary of the Elisa Canyon gas blowout really a, a poignant political moment for us here in California um, and hold the governor accountable. Um, that's where we'll be sharing our plans and, and giving a lot of groups and people opportunity to plug in. So September 1st is a Tuesday. We'll be doing that from 7 to 8.30 and um, I'll share the information with y'all. Cool. Thank you so much. I just really wanted to jump in here. Rob is asking if I'm okay. Uh, <laughs> but what I was going to say is that uh, conveniently, uh, thanks to SoCal Gas, the people up in Porter Ranch uh, were already prepared for the current coronavirus pandemic because this picture that I've had up on the screen a bunch today and kept trying to make a stupid joke about was from 2017. They already were buying these damn face masks with the filters and everything else. They were ahead of the curve uh, in, in procuring PPE that's necessary to survive in a global pandemic because uh, SoCal Gas forced them into a situation where they had to wear that just to breathe non-pandemic air, which is super <laughs> fucked up. Uh, it's not even a funny joke. It's just a point of observation that it really hit me when I was looking at the articles uh, to try to grab a couple of images to use, uh, specifically that that very poignant and, and depressing uh, infrared camera image of the blowout just billowing shit all over Porter Ranch. Um, mm -hmm. Seeing this image was just like, wow, they 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 already went through this and were just compounding you know, they're, they were already predisposed to respiratory infections because of this exposure and then getting hit with the pandemic on top of that. Like, just, it really makes you wonder, like, what the fuck is going through the minds of our elected officials when they are doing their jobs? Like, do they actually give a shit about the lives of their constituents? And I feel like I'm not really going out on too much of a limb to say that John Lee doesn't. Um because he's just not a good person. No, and uh, no. And we, um, just back to your point earlier, the weather is really hot this week. I mean, it's it's really scary what's happening um, for unhoused people here in Los Angeles, especially, and just asking, you know, Governor Newsom to fix the weather. He can do something about it um, by shutting down Aliso Canyon because Aliso Canyon is a climate wrecking machine that operates 24 seven every day. It's putting polluting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. 
that are accelerating climate change. Um, and, you know, by ending fossil fuels in California, we can safeguard our climate so that we're not having these widespread um, heat waves. They'll still happen. This is still California, but we can lessen the impact. And so really the climate justice movement, the movement for housing justice is all connected in this way because one thing affects the other. Yeah. And those yeah. fires are a huge risk for this facility as, you know, you know, what, what could possibly go wrong with a wildfire spreading into a gas storage facility that has a, you know, track record of leaking uh, highly flammable substances yeah. on a regular basis. Like, oh my God. Right. Yeah. yeah. Alex, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I know you got to get out of here. You got important state director stuff to do. Uh, again, <laughs> if you're interested in getting in on the fight, Check out Food and Water Watch or Food and Water Action. Uh, they operate not just in California, but across the nation, fighting to keep us all safe and are doing really good work. Donations are always good. Volunteering some time is always good. November's coming up, and they've got a really great slate of candidates for you to back. So have yourself a great weekend, Alex, and thank you again for making the time for this. Yes, thank thank you, you so much. so much. Thank you. All right. Uh, now let's move on to uh, a... Yeah, the uh, really scary this. story yeah. from uh, this was was this Thursday? No, this was Wednesday. Uh, uh, Melina Abdullah. Morning. Yeah, Melina Abdullah was going to go give a speech at uh, Cal State LA, where she's a teacher, um, trying to lobby for her to become the dean of the ethnic studies program. Um, and something really scary happened before that. So why don't you fill us in, Chris? Uh, well, okay, so. It, it, <laughs> Honestly, it's probably best to just read from the article because uh, it is shocking. But suffice to say, like, I got a text message uh, about or not text. I got a, a, a Twitter DM, I guess, uh, saying like shit was going down and Melina was on uh, on Instagram live. That was how I found out about this. Uh, and yeah, so uh, let's just go ahead and get straight into this. Quote, uh, a man who called 911 on Wednesday and falsely claimed to be holding people hostage inside the Los Angeles home of a prominent Black Lives Matter leader told the LAPD dispatcher that he was there to send a message. Why are you holding them hostage? The dispatcher asked, according to the audio of the 911 call reviewed by The Times on Thursday. Quote, quote, to send a message, the caller said. What's the message? The dispatcher asked. BLM is a bunch of retards, the man said. So this was the context of what was going on here. Um, but basically, Melina was in her house getting ready to go over to Cal State L.A. to have a press conference talking about uh, the president of the university uh, of the of CSU L.A. Uh, basically passing over her to name somebody else as the dean, the inaugural dean of the Ethnic Studies Department, uh, the newly created Ethnic Studies Department that wouldn't exist without the work of Melina Abdullah. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, there's this whole campaign that's been going on for that. The press conference was supposed to be starting at 10 a.m. I think that they actually ended up getting there on time for it, which is truly shocking and uh, like a testament of how just unfazed and how much of a badass Melina is. But uh, she suddenly heard a helicopter circling overhead and was being told to come out with her hands up. Uh, and they, the officers, you know, dozens of officers from the, from the accounts that I've been hearing uh, had their long guns trained on the house and mm -hmm. on Molino looking out through the window trying to understand what the fuck was going on. 
Um, yeah. So continuing from the article from the LA Times, quote, the caller seemed to intentionally go to large police response to the home. When the dispatcher asked him how long he intended to stay in the residence, he said, quote, you guys are obviously going to secure a perimeter, end quote. He said he wanted a million dollars within an hour or he was going to kill the hostages, a threat officers later shared with Abdullah. He then tells the dispatcher he is going to start shooting the hostages and hung up. Abdullah informed the caller's uh, informed of the caller's comments about BLM by a Times reporter said, quote, uh, said it, quote, makes even makes it even clearer to me that there was some animus behind the call, she said. Um, yeah, the shit was real fucking scary. Uh, yeah. And it's. Well, the- there's also there's a number of things here that was weird is these cops showed up to Melina Abdullah's house when she came out with her camera on because she was like, there's a shit ton of cops here. I clearly know there's not a hostage situation in my house. So I'm going to start filming. Mm -hmm. And when she talked to the cop and says, do you know who I am? And they're like, do you know who I am? It's like, you just showed up to the house of one of the biggest civil rights leaders in the state, if not the country, claiming you don't know what she looks like. How are you going to rescue the hostages when you don't know what they look like? And you know that one of them is a famous public figure. Like, there's so many things off the top here that don't add up. Another thing like that wasn't in the LA Times article that I found interesting is I don't think they said what the source of the phone call was because there are generally a few tells going on when it comes to uh, swatting calls. Like generally they'll use a voiceover IP line rather than yeah. an actual cell phone or a physical landline that you can easily trace, which you would think that the, the dispatcher would look at that and be like, oh, you're calling from like a 424 number that I can't geolocate. Maybe I should tell the cops to like, check this out before they like pull out the SWAT team. Like this to me seems like it was somebody who's friendly with the cops, giving them an excuse to be like, one, look at how we'll pull out all of our toys to defend you. Two, it just so happens that pulling out all of our toys to defend you is also a super intimidating thing. Three, we know that LAPD is used to SWATing. Like Justin Bieber, Selena Gomez, like all these famous celebrities who live up in the, the Hollywood Hills and live up in the Valley. They get swatted. LAPD has figured out that you don't send the cavalry at the first call for something like this, that you send basically a cruiser to like roll by and see if there's anything that they can tell before you do that. And in this case, they didn't. Like LAPD knows how to handle swatting calls. This was them purposely ignoring their own guidelines because they wanted to intimidate someone. They wanted to let people in Black Lives Matter LA know, hey, even if we're called to protect you, we're still going to put you in a position where we could kill you. It, yeah, it's monumentally fucked up. Just monumentally fucked up. Uh, also, the, my like, apologies for continuing to eat on camera, but my blood sugar is kind of low. So yeah, you uh, if you want me to keep excuse, yelling at the news, fine. I have to eat. <laughs> it's fine. Keep eating, please. Um, so one of the other things here is that the particular language about setting up a perimeter and the way it was discussed is extremely telling. Like, this is not the way one would anticipate, at least with my preconceived notions of, like, how people, normal people talk, although I guess, you know, if you're taking hostages, you're definitely not a normal person, but it has a certain militaristic or informed police tone yep. to the way they were talking. Um, but so uh, I, I, I was like, there this is at... Someone, this is someone who knew... All of the boxes to check to get the maximum response. This is like yes. they knew exactly what to say, how to say it. So the dispatcher would be like, oh, shit, we have to get people out there real quickly. 
and to give LAPD cover for doing that. Like, I feel like it's both of those that not only did they want to generate the biggest response possible, but they wanted to make sure that their buddies at LAPD were able to be like, oh, this isn't us being irrational. The caller said all of the right magic words because as Ace keeps reminding us, the law isn't real, (laughs) but police have magic words. They're like vampires. (laughs) And like in that way, you can understand when somebody knows the magic words. And this caller clearly knew the magic words. So on top of that, like uh, Melina, you know, as I said, came out and and ended up going to do the press conference and, and getting through all of that. And then I saw her later in the day at the, uh, the weekly Black Lives Matter rally in front of the Hall of Injustice demanding that Jackie Lacey resign, or in this case, at least that she just, uh, well, she should just withdraw from the race altogether because uh, she clearly is not in a position where she should be running. She's lost all credibility. And her husband threatened to murder Melina Abdullah uh, on their uh, front porch. But uh, she said, I, I believe I am quoting correctly here, this is from my memory, uh, she said that the police were either incompetent or complicit in their response to this, where them saying yep. that they don't know what she looks like was just like, pfft, come you, on. They, they don't know what she looks like, but when, but when a random like police lieutenant at a county board at a police commission says, "Grab Molina, arrest Molina," wow, they suddenly know exactly who they're talking about. They, the officers on the line, know exactly who they're grabbing. Yes. Well, I mean, fucking to be fair, bullshit. Like LAPD, be, yeah. we know you're dumb as bricks. Like we know you're fucking stupid, <laughs> but you're not that stupid. Like we know this. Like I, I don't know. Like I think one of my favorite times I interacted with a cop. Like I got pulled over when I was at USC because, like, yeah. I was pulling out of that shell right at, um, not Vermont, at uh, Hoover and, and Adams. You know the shell by the Ralphs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know where I'm talking about. And like, as I went to pull out, I was like, hey, give me my lighter. And my buddy went to pass me my lighter and he dropped it. And so like, I had to bend down to pick it up. And I look up and there's two fucking gang detectives in an unmarked car rolling by just staring at me. And I was like, well, I'm gonna get pulled over. And so I did. And they pull me over, full felony stop, guns out and everything, put us up against the wall. And it's it's that uh, a mural from fuck? 1968 of a cop busting open heads for uh, for protesters in 1968. As soon as the cops realize it's two white guys from USC, the guns go away. Um, but I remember sitting there and the guys were like, you know, Jesus. why don't you go to UCLA? Like UCLA is in a nice neighborhood. You wouldn't have to go to school in the ghetto. And I was like, hey, wait, didn't all of your top brass go to USC? And the guy was like, oh yeah, maybe you're right. This is all to say like USC knows who pays the bills. They know who's like yeah. calling the shots. They know who's in charge of this shit. They're not, they're not as dumb as they want you to believe. But anytime they get put in a position where their motives could be questioned, they just say, oh, no, we're too stupid to know the right thing to do. And we know you're fucking lying. Like, we know that this was one of your buddies from LAPPL who called in and made this call and brought all these people with guns to a family house at eight in the morning on a fucking Wednesday. And we know that your cops that were on the line were, were being assholes. And like, that's the other thing is if Melina Abdullah is the victim of a hostage situation, wouldn't you want to treat her nicely? Like, wouldn't you want to treat her as though she's the victim of a potential crime rather than immediately starting out in an adversarial, like, oh, fuck you, lady, kind of, like, I don't, there's so many parts of this that just seem so obviously manipulated and craven and bad that I have a hard time even getting to the end of a sentence before I, like, 
caused my brain to go into another tailspin. Right, Chris? Yeah, no, very much so. Um, I actually, I, I forgot that I had actually uh, copied out the transcript, uh, well, not transcript, but the transcribed <laughs> words from Melina on Instagram Live when she did, when she started recording all of this. Uh, the LA Times had it in there and that she says, quote, I don't know why they are here. They have guns pointed at my house. There's a helicopter overhead. Nobody's knocked at the door, but apparently they've made announcements for people to come out with our hands up. My children are in the house. My children are in the house. I don't know what this is. And she, having listened to it myself, she was saying all of this with unbelievably calm composure yeah. through the entire thing. And, you know, she said at the rally later that day that she, you know, she asked her kids what it is that she's afraid of. And they said nothing. And that I fully, fully believe that she is completely fearless in this. Yep. Um, and it's absolutely insane. Uh, the LA times also had in their follow-up piece on this talking about they're going, there is going to be an investigation into what happened because of course there's going to be an investigation who knows whether it's going to turn up anything. Um, but Herb West, I mean, it, 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 but it, it, we know that it won't like, correct. we, we know that it won't, we yeah. know that, they're going to say, oh, hey, this guy used one of them fancy internet phones and we can't find out where he's from. We're LAPD. We only work with Palantir. We don't we don't know how them computers work. All we know is the shoot, shoot, bang, bang. I don't, what do you want? Oh, God damn it. But yes, correct. Um, let me just read Weston's statement really quick and then we'll just wrap everything up here. Um, this we appears- got lead hacksered by this crash override guy. <laughs> Everybody should watch that movie for sure. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, I was being reminded uh, at the top of the show, uh, Laura Cohen said that it was a zip disk was what we were thinking about. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, jazz drives and zip disks were about very similar. About one to one. Yeah, they, very much so. Uh, so nostalgia complete um, quote from from Wesson here, quote, this appears to be an illegal act of swatting a print called to bring armed officers to a particular address. And we need to hold whoever did this accountable. While she's known to all of us as an activist with BLMLA, she is the mother of three children, and to put her family through this is unacceptable no matter where your politics may lie, end quote. So, I mean, Herb Wesson is an incredibly powerful figure in Los Angeles politics. I would argue that for the last decade or so, he's probably been the most powerful figure in L.A. politics, um, especially with the role that he had uh, as president over the redistricting commission, which I'm sure we should get Rob Kwan on here to talk at some point about. The yeah, we'll, we'll talk stuff. about that one. Uh, yeah, that that uh, uh, Jan Perry and yeah. uh, Bernard Parks <laughs> coming for him was that was a thing of beauty. We, we that was a fun article for us to talk about um, offline. We should definitely talk about it online. Um, but yeah, so if maybe if Wesson, who I know has a good relationship with Melina, like I see them at events together often, um, I would hope that, uh, he is able to lend his weight to actually getting some kind of a resolution out of this investigation because, uh, this is fucked up straight up. Mm -hmm. Like this is LAPD and LAPPL are not fucking around. Uh, they know that black lives matter is coming for their paychecks. Um, and reducing, uh, you know, the goal of defunding the police is reducing the size of the police and eventually working toward abolition of the police. And they realize that the momentum is not on their side. So they are they are a a cornered cage, a cornered animal that is now lashing out with every tool at their disposal 
Um, and whether it was somebody directly from LAPD or LAPPL that was doing this, we do not know. But we know that is somebody who it seems to be somebody who is very sympathetic to them and is very adamantly opposed, as a quote from the 911 call says, adamantly opposed I mean, to, to BLM. We got our hands on five years worth of LAPPL notes, and that feels like lifetimes ago, even though that yeah, was like Jesus. three weeks ago. Oh, my God. Yeah. You're right. It was. I know. Three weeks I know. Ago. We also busted. We also busted the cops for throwing a secret bar party. That was again like three fucking weeks ago. We know from the LAPPL <laughs> notes that they spend the majority of their time figuring out how to make sure that officers will not be held accountable, how to violate the law without getting cops busted. Time and time again, from DUIs to use of force, that's what the cops spend their time doing. And they have a bunch of retired. Wealthy cops with nothing better to do on their on their hands than make life hard for the people who are trying to build an actual better city. We're ex our experience in mutual aid LA has not been that we need more cops. If anything, we've realized we need more nurses, we need more doctors, we need more social workers. There has not been a single fucking problem that has cropped up on the radar of mutual aid LA. We're like, holy shit, man, we need 12,000 cops in this city. We need so many fucking cops to solve this. Not a single problem. So like LAPD needs to go the way of the dinosaur, but they're going to fight tooth and nail against that. 100%. And they're, again, armed and dangerous people. And that's not like, that. that's not an exaggeration. Just in this last week, LAPD has shot people. Every week, LAPD is shooting people. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And they use that threatening president presence over and over and over again to fight against this latest iteration of the civil rights movement. Yeah, um, it's fucked up. And yep. uh, join us in this fight because we have to win. Yeah. Uh, so let's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So let's, uh, we'll, we'll round it out now with a little bit of a discussion. Just wanted to clue y'all in on yeah. uh, Proposition 22, which is an attempt by Uber and Lyft to undo AB5, which is forcing uh, gig economy companies to treat their workers as though they're employees. Uh, Uber and Lyft recently lost a court decision where they now have to treat their employees as though they are, or treat their, their workers as though they are employees with benefits and paying the minimum wage and all the stuff that you get once you sign an at-will employment contract for any other company on the planet. Now, Uber came out and said that they're going to stop working in the state of California, which, <laughs> one, they're not. They're just lying. But two, they're only planning to stop working until November because Prop 22 is on the ballot. And they are ready to spend every single penny in venture capital they've got to win on Prop 22. And yes. we have to make sure they lose because this is something I want to point out. These companies have never made money. Lyft, Uber, DoorDash, Postmates, name the gig economy company out there, uh, and they have never turned a profit because they're not designed to turn a profit for the shareholders. They're designed to turn profits for the executors, for the executives and the board members. They're designed to turn a profit for the people who own the private stock before the IPO. Everyone who bought that stock after the IPO, I'm sorry, you're the fucking mark. That stock was never meant to be profitable. That stock was never meant to make you money. It was never meant to be a sustainable business. This is basically a pyramid scheme where the people who get in early are able to get out with a profit and then saddle the economy with a losing business that people are dependent on for what should be public or widely available, easily accessible surf like services. Ride sharing makes a lot of sense. Not everybody in an urban center wants to or needs to own a car. Not everybody needs to be a driver. Like it makes sense to be able to connect people in that way. 
it doesn't make sense when the people driving those cars are working below poverty wages and having to shoulder the entire burden of capital themselves. You know, Uber doesn't pay insurance for their drivers, doesn't pay car maintenance, doesn't pay gas. The, the drivers onboard all of that burden themselves. Meanwhile, Uber and Lyft take the money that they're earning, give the drivers a small percentage of it, and shovel the rest of it to the wealthy few who got in on that ground level. Like, these companies should be put out of business in favor of something that actually works for society. In order for that to happen, we need to defeat Prop 22. Amen to that. Yeah. Uh, also, I, I just I remembered that the mayor had made this completely anodyne, toothless, and uh, meaningless tweet uh, about this proposed. Which seems to come out in favor of Uber and Lyft and not like protecting workers. What an asshole. What an asshole. Rideshare drivers deserve a good living, and their services can be a lifeline for essential workers who need transportation. Shutting down service would hurt everyone at a moment where Build trains, we should all together to find solutions and support one another. Um, oh, yeah, and speaking of trains, they've really, Metro still wants to go full steam ahead with trying to build uh, trains in time for the Olympics, which shouldn't fucking happen at the expense of shutting down bus lines that are fucking needed to keep people being able to go to their work. Oh my God, mayor, get the fuck out, Garcetti. You sack of shit. You suck at your job. It's, oh my God. It's, it's really frustrating that like we only oh. get public transit because of the Olympics and not even the public transit <laughs> yeah. that we need. Like we need the trains, but we need buses more than trains. And if you look at where the trains exist in this city, they only exist, like, mainly in the nicer parts of town, like the gentrifying parts of town. Like, South L.A. could use a lot of trains and buses. In fact, they needed a hell of a lot more than Brentwood or the Sepulveda yep. Pass. Yep. But when you look at Metro's plans for, like, the next 10 years, they're not putting trains in South L.A. They're putting trains well, in the valley where rich people live. There is the and Crenshaw that doesn't, line. Sort of. I mean— the Crenshaw Which line also making... doesn't really go all that many useful Correct. places. It also doesn't connect to any other lines because we still want to maintain this like weird like stratification where like it's you so can take the dumb. Crenshaw line really close to the purple and red line, but they're never actually going to connect because we want to make sure that the people coming up from South LA can't too easily get around our city. And we want to make sure that that when we're building trains like the blue line just went through a year's worth of uh, maintenance to get slower and less reliable. <laughs> How the fuck do you do that? It's almost like there's a racist underlying tone of, um, or rather there's underlying tones of racism in the design and uh, maintenance and deployment of our transportation infrastructure. I don't, I don't know oh. where you would have ever gotten that idea, Chris. I have no idea <laughs> where you would come up with that idea. <laughs> Everything is so fucked up, and it's been so fucked up for so long. Yeah. Uh, anyways, anyway, should, uh, what is it? Prop twenty two. On one. Prop twenty two. Yeah, prop twenty two. Yes. That's a that's a no on prop twenty two. Yeah. You're gonna see a shit ton of ads for it. You're gonna see a shit ton of Twitter ads for it. Uh, nice. They have this is this is Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and Postmates and every shitty gig economy company fighting for their lives, and we can stop them. Now, one fun thing that just happened is San Francisco's vacancy rate has jumped 100% since the start of the pandemic, uh, mainly because wealthy people are moving out and property values up there were just artificially too high. We might see a good recentering here, but we also might see a land grab by very wealthy interests. So keep in mind, as we fight against companies like Uber and Lyft, we also have to fight against the chance that they could get bought out by larger conglomerates. 
Yep. Like Facebook coming in and buying Uber would not be better than Uber being a public service. Yes. And I, holy shit, that's a terrifying and absolutely possible, plausible future. And that thank thank you. Thank you again, Bushido, for God damn it. Now I'm going to yeah. be thinking about that for the rest of the fucking day. You ass. So, so Jello Biafra, <laughs> uh, the former lead singer of the, of the Dead Kennedys, ran for president um, I, like two decades ago. I want to say against uh, Gore and Bush. Okay. Uh, he, ran, he, he tried to get the, the Green Party nomination. He didn't. Uh, but his platform was no SUVs and nobody makes more than $100,000 a year. And as I get older, I see how correct he was. That's a fucking great platform. I like that platform a lot. <laughs> Unfortunately, Jello Biafra got kicked out of the dead Kennedys for embezzling money from his bandmates. <laughs> Nobody's nerfed, I guess we say. Ah! <sighs> All right. Um, I don't actually know what events are going on this week. It's been a fucking crazy week leading up yeah, to this. It's, we, we are going to be a little bit late next week because uh, I'm going to be uh, yes. I'm going camping. Uh, on kind of a little bit of a leadership retreat, so that should be good. Um, be careful, folks. Like, wildfire season is here with a yep. vengeance. Yep. Uh, if you're sensitive to that, stay inside. Check on your neighbors if they're elderly or if you know people with young children. Um, wearing a cloth, ma- a cloth mask outside is probably not enough right now. A KN95 or an N95 that does not have a valve on it is going to be the way to go. Like, Fuck it's good that we're all masked up, Fuck. but, like, air quality is going to be so much worse, and especially with this heat wave over this week— it's going to be bad out there. Watch out for each other. Absolutely. Um, a couple of things that will absolutely be coming up. I will be here on Tuesday and Wednesday morning because that's what I do now. Uh, live tweeting the city council uh, and or board of supervisors meetings uh, here on knock.la for, for Twitter, as well as on the Twitch ground game account. Uh, all of the things that you guys are getting used to seeing, uh, we're trying to you know expand even more. Uh, yeah. There is also, of course, going to be the Wednesday action for Jackie Lacey, demanding that she resign, uh, drop off of the ballot, whatever, just anything, getting any response out of her other than yep. her crying on Spectrum News about how people are coming after her for... Um, I, her, oh, she just does not understand how reality works, but whatever. Fuck Jackie Lacey. Um, yeah, come out for that. It's great. Uh, it's a really pretty, uh, pretty cool that LAPPL is going to endorse her, um, just like they're tacitly endorsing Trump. So you can tell, you know, ah, what side of history she's on hundred percent. Uh, yeah. So come out for that Wednesdays, every Wednesday, 3 PM, although they've been starting later and later because, uh, the sheriffs have been making it much harder to get to these protests. They literally have roadblocks up all around the Hall of Injustice, uh, making it damn near impossible for you to get anywhere close to it with a car unless you show up at like 2 or noon even. Um, I I showed up at like 2.15 to try to help a friend set up some, uh, you know, coffee giveaway, which shout out to Go Get Him Tiger for giving a free coffee there. Um, But they couldn't get there with their car to drop stuff off because it was already shut down at 2 p.m. So it's becoming an earlier and earlier thing to set up and get used to. There's now more fencing around it. Uh, The police are ramping up their response to it. Uh, It'd be really great to see more people showing up to those events. It's incredibly powerful. The speakers are amazing. The families deserve to be heard. Uh, That space is for them. Uh, And it reminds you of why 
why this struggle is so important to hear those firsthand accounts from the families and to listen to leaders like Joseph and Melina from BLM and hearing Kendrick get up on the stage and bring everybody together, get people, you know, chanting along, singing along, dancing along, all of that. It's so fucking good. Um, come out for that Wednesdays, uh, 211 West Temple. You can't miss it. There's lots of cops with their blues and reds on, uh, sheriffs rather, yep. but whatever, fuck them. Uh, yep. and, uh, yeah, then also Thursdays we have our zoom meetings for ground game. If you want to get plugged in with us, the, you know, the drill. So, um, <clears throat> as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in publicizing or just being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the ground game LA Facebook page, through Twitter, through Instagram at ground game LA on all of the things. We're also at not knock dot LA, uh, for, you know, all things media related and the dot yep. is spelled D-O-T. It is not a period. If you use the period, you will not find it. It is knock.la, all spelled out because that's the thing. Uh, also, yep. you can just go to knock.la with a period <laughs> to get to the website and read all of our news. Uh, we've got some great yep. reporters putting out some amazing work. Uh, support us over on Patreon. Uh, to support our writers and get everything going and hopefully get some cool merch coming up in the near future. Uh, Patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. Of course, check the description of this podcast for sources, uh, links to action, social media links, all of that jazz. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. Bushido, got any last words? No, no, it's a, it's going to be a long, hot week. Stay safe out there, y'all. Thirty and more. Thirty and more. Thirty and more. Thirty and more.